what is the layout for my new domain modeling book? That's what I'm going to talk about today in this episode. My name is Eric Normand, and this is my podcast. Welcome. So you might notice there's some background noise. I'm trying out my old style format again. Uh, it was getting hard to get in the groove doing a recording in my little studio. So I'm in the car again. And now that I have a commute again, I thought I would use this time to talk and to record ideas, try to make it more off the cuff and just really raw because I want to think out ideas. So right now I'm working on my book and I thought it would be cool to lay out the main structure and talk about why I broke it up that way. So the book is divided into three parts. It's about domain modeling. The working title is Domain Modeling. There's three parts that correspond to three different levels of domain modeling. So one of the problems you, when you have a big topic like this is you have to put it into some kind of linear order and you really want everyone to know everything all at once. And they can't. Got to start somewhere. And so then where do you start? Well, you have to start with the most concrete thing first. And what is the most concrete thing? Well, it's data modeling. Data modeling is actually very concrete and most people probably already know how to do it decently. Especially people who work with something like JSON. They know how to represent entities or other concepts in their domain as data structured, like named, named attributes, named uh, references, nested things. And that's data modeling. But I, I want to give it a more precise definition. But before I get to that, I want to just tell you the, the whole big plan. So you got data modeling, then a little bit less concrete, a little more abstract is operation modeling. And then the last one is algebraic modeling. I've been considering doing a fourth level, which would be metalinguistic modeling, which is where you make a new language on top of the existing language, kind of like a DSL, but I don't think I want to go there. I feel like that is a whole book by itself. And I'm just going to, I'm just not even going to go there. I might mention it as the end. So data modeling is the skill that are required to represent the state of your domain in data. So just a static view of the, of the state of your domain, like one snapshot of the state, the current state, what is it in? And that is deceptively simple. 
A lot of us, I think my listeners will be actually pretty good at it. A lot of people aren't that good at it. And I want to talk about how you can take small components of the state and compose them up together. The main ways you compose things are by doing, there's the two main ones. It's called product types and some types. So product types are like a tuple or a record where you're taking multiple values and putting them together. And they're called a product type because if you have, say, four possible values, four possible states in one of the pieces and seven possible states in the other, you multiply the two numbers together, you get 28. So now there's 28 possible states because you have all the combinations of one from, you know, A and one from B. That's 28 possible states. Now, the other thing is called sum types, which is basically where you have alternatives. So the four options might be a sum type of four different choices, right? Or it might be a sum type of two choices and two choices. Or it might be a sum type of one choice and three choices. So you have all these options for composing your state or the representation of your state using sub-pieces, right? Smaller pieces of state. So there's product types and sum types. Uh, if you need to do something more sophisticated, there's stuff like uh, collection. So collections are usually the things we, we know uh, and use already. Stuff like uh, arrays or sets, things like that. These have the interesting property of being a kind of combination of a choice. Oh, I didn't say this. I should say it. That a sum type represents an alternative. So you can choose A or B. A. So let's say uh, if you're ordering pizza, you got to choose a size, right? A small, medium, or large. So the the you would represent, or you could represent that as a sum type of three tokens. One is small, one is medium, one is large. A combination represents, sorry, a product type represents a combination. So in a pizza, you have both the size and let's say the sauce. And you have three kinds of sauce that you can choose from and three kinds of three sizes. Then that gives you nine possible combinations of those of different pizzas, right? So your pizza can be one of those nine. When you've got a collection, it's kind of a some type of product. Okay, so when you get into the toppings that you want on the pizza, let's say there are four possible toppings, just to make it easy. But you can have zero or more topping. 
And just to make it really simple, let's just say you have max three toppings. That means you have a choice of zero toppings, one topping, two topping, or three topping. Now that is like a first level choice. Now you have to choose the toppings that go into those slots, right? So if you have zero topping, then you, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this more in another, uh, in another episode. Cause I don't want to go too deep into just like collections. Cause it, it can, it, it's so much to describe, but basically you got a choice of how many and then which ones, uh, but it, it does it all in one. And then different collections have different other kinds of features like sets don't have duplicates and some collections maintain the order and some don't and th things like that, which can align with the way you want your model to work. And they all change the number of states, right? If you're using a set, adding uh, anchovies or olives twice isn't going to change the state, right? So it, it reduces the possible number of states that are available. Uh, I also want to get into um, uh, naming versus nesting. So if you're in a, a a data model and let's say you got pizza and you're talking about the toppings, well, is the topping a nested structure with its own state to it? Or is it just the name of a topping that is referred to? And I'm not going to talk about how you choose between them because both options uh, are valid for different situations. And so I'll talk about that in another episode because I don't want to get into it too deep right now. Okay, so now let's talk about uh, operation modeling. Uh, this is where you know, you, you get good at data modeling, you, you kind of, you master it well enough. And you start to realize that there's still so many choices that you have to make when you're building a data model. And what informs those choices are your, basically your use cases and what kinds of operations you want people to be able to do on this state. And when you're doing an operation model, you're basically talking about what are the possible state changes. And you do that, you analyze it in terms of possible state changes before you come up with the data model because the operations are actually going to constrain what you, what kinds of representations you're going to want. And that makes the problem of data modeling easier. So you do it first. So you just list out all your operations, start there. So that's operation modeling, is figuring out how to model state change. And usually you do it with functions. Uh, when you write your functions that are your operations, you're typically going to be doing something that my friend calls signature-driven development, which is you write the signature of the function and the signature is basically what are the argument types? What is the return type? And then what's the name? The name is important in the signature. And 
once you have that, once you figure that out, implementing it is usually pretty straightforward. So the key then is to make sure that your signature makes sense for the operation that you want to be able to do. And one of the main kinds of operations you'll be doing is a mutation. And in functional programming, what that means is you're going to take the current state and some other arguments and return the new state. You have this mutation that is a function that doesn't change anything. I, I know I'm calling it a mutation, but I don't, I, and I'm, I'm willing, I'm perfectly open to new names because I, uh, I know that that can be confusing. But it's going to take the current state and returns the new state. And one of the important ideas in operation modeling is to, is to ensure that your functions are total, which means that they are valid for any combination of valid arguments. Okay, so any possible state, you can hand it any possible state, and it's not going to like throw an exception because you, you did something weird, right? And so we're going to spend quite a lot of time talking about how you can make, uh, how you can make your, your operations total, even when there's obviously some state changes are not valid when the state is in a certain configuration, right? You can't always do this state change. Uh, but uh, how do you do that? Well, you have to augment. And there's multiple ways. One, you can uh, restrict the types of the arguments, right? So have fewer valid arguments. You can augment the return value. So one thing could be to capture the error as part of your data model, right? That your your model always contains errors. Uh, it contains like the the data model contains the error, right? It's part of the state. And finally, you could change the meaning of the mutation. So this is one of those more controversial things, but I think it's a, it's a valid thing. If you've got a set of numbers, this is an example. If you've got a set of numbers and I tell you, remove the threes, okay, remove the three because there's only going to be one possible three in there because it's a set but remove three from the set. What if there is no three? Well, you could just throw an error and say, no, this doesn't exist in the set. It, how can I remove something that doesn't exist? Right. And that's, you know, that you, that's the arguable way of, of interpreting, uh, that, uh, that operation, the semantics of that operation. But another way to interpret it is to say, well, if it doesn't exist in the set, I'm just going to return the same set unchanged. Why, why, what's the problem? So you're kind of reinterpreting it to say, like, this set without a three, if it had one, right? And it makes things sometimes go more smoothly, but it makes it total. There's no error there, right? If I say, hey, remove all the oranges from this bag of apples, and you just hand me the bag of apples and you say, look, there's no oranges in there, then 
you know, was there a problem? Does that need to be an error? Right? No, it's fine. So uh, that is uh, one way of making things more total. Okay, on to level three. And just to review, level one, data modeling. Level two, operations modeling. Level three, algebraic modeling. This is where you realize that, hey, I'm never just doing one state chain. I'm often doing a series of them or they're happening even in parallel sometimes. I want to be able to model that. What happens if I do this and then that? Like, I want to be able to talk about the properties of the system without even, without uh, talking about a specific state. I wanted to say at all times, this thing must be true. That's where you get into algebraic modeling. So there are some useful concepts there that we can go into. So basically, in the algebraic, just to, to reiterate, you are uh, modeling the composition of operation. So the first one I want to, to talk about is the closure property. This is closure with an F. Closure property is a property from algebra that says that the argument types are the same as the return type or argument type if they're just one argument. And this is something that we see a lot in, in arithmetic and, and algebraic expressions. So for instance, plus over the integers has the closure property. If I take two integers, those are the arguments, I add them up, I'm going to get another integer out. And why is this important? Well, it's super important because it lets you nest expression. It means that once I've got integers and I'm doing all these operations that have the closure property over integers, it means that I can build huge nested expressions and I, I get to be very expressive with the way, I, with the way I'm coding. Not just coding like at the sort of to, to um, remember we're talking about composition and nesting is a way of composing. Another way of composing is to just kind of do stuff at the end, right? So I say like make a variable a, do some operation on a value, assign it to a, and then now do some other thing to a and assign it back to a and do some other thing on a. So I can do this kind of linear composition, which is basically sequence it. Or I can do a nested thing, which gives you another dimension of expression that, that you can do. And we do this all the time in, in um, like arithmetic formulas. Another example of the closure property in software is string operations. So string operations, you can, you know how if in Java or JavaScript, once you have a string, you can do like, turn it into lowercase. Now replace all the, the T's with S's. And 
now uh, split it into four strings and then map over those and concat them back together with with uh, semicolons um, in between them. And that's a new string. And you're doing this thing and it can just be one line and you never have to stop the line. You just keep chaining another method on it. That's because it's a string is the argument and it's a string is the return value. So you're just always in the land of string. It lets you build these neat uh, expressions. Imagine if you had some strings, you know, had were different and they couldn't do the certain operations, you'd have to convert them. And now you've got, you know, you're, you're not in the same expression anymore. You're like constructing new things. And we want to avoid that. And one way to do that is to like stay in the land of one type and keep working on it. Okay, associative property. It's something you learn in high school in algebra class, but it's, it's actually quite a useful property. I've been thinking about how best to explain what makes it useful. Like what is the use of the associative property? And here's what it is. It allows you to break a problem up into subproblems and solve it with subsolution. Solve a big problem by breaking it up and solving and making subsolutions, right? And then you can compose them back up together. That's all the associative property lets you do. So uh, sticking with strings, you can break a string up into uh, characters or let's say into substrings of one, length one. Now you can turn them, all those individual strings into uppercase strings, and then you can concatenate the strings back together. It's kind of a silly example, but it shows that you can solve the problem of uppercasing a string by breaking it down into subproblem. As long as you stay in the same type, when you concatenate them together, concatenation has the associative property. Once you concatenate them together, boom, you're back in the, the, the original level of the problem, not the subproblems. Okay. Still an example. I'm, I have better examples in the book. Uh, commutative. All right, this one we talk about a lot. It basically means you can solve... Uh, you can do operations in any order. If I do F first and then G, it's the same as doing G first and then F. And that also has nice properties. All right, is a, is a nice property. It has, it means that, for instance, if I'm building an editor for uh, constructing a pizza order, right, because I want to order pizza on the web or on an app, doesn't really matter if I add if I add olives first and then bell peppers or bell peppers and then olives in my order, right? It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. And so I need to ensure that that's true. And so I want to write as part of the, the algebraic model that that is guaranteed. Okay, so that was a longer overview that I wanted to give, but I think 
uh, it, this first uh, pass at the, the, the table of contents, the, the levels, it was good. So uh, I'd love to hear your feedback on this. Uh, if there's anything missing, maybe I can find a place for it. Uh, what you're most interested in, anything that you think shouldn't be in there, please let me know. I want this book to be based on uh, the feedback I get, especially on this podcast, because these you you, you are um, a good source of information about what people need to learn and what's valuable, what has been valuable to you as a programmer when you're doing domain models. I'd love to incorporate that into the book. All right. Thank you very much. My name is Eric Norman. This has been another episode of my podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, rock on.